Welcome to this very special Thanksgiving edition of Ignite Radio Live. Tonight you're going to hear a wonderful address by my beautiful wife Stephanie at St. Joseph's Sylvania. Join the adventure at massimpact.us. Not another program, a way of life. As I was introduced, my name is Stephanie Schleter, and I was given this uh, awesome topic to talk about tonight with you, Garden of Gratitude. And what a phenomenal evening. This is my first time here. And um, just to see so many wonderful feminine geniuses and just the fellowship that um, you guys and I was able to be a part of, blessed to be a part of tonight, but are able to share. Just what a gift. So let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. From St. Paul's letter to the Colossians. Because you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with heartfelt mercy, with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, forgive whatever grievances you have against one another, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds the rest together and makes them perfect. Christ's peace must reign in your hearts, since as members of the one body, you have been called to that peace. Dedicate yourselves to thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, rich as it is, dwell in you. In wisdom made perfect, instruct and admonish one another. Sing gratefully to God from your hearts in psalms, hymns, and inspired songs. Whatever you do, whether in speech or in action, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Amen? Amen. amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Not just because this is a talk on gratitude, but I'm truly grateful to be with you, as I said earlier, just what a blessing of a night. I give thanks to God for my 46 years of life. I give thanks that I'm a beloved daughter of his. I give thanks that I was born and raised Catholic. I give thanks for my 19 and a half years of grace-filled marriage to a faith-filled, wonderful husband, Greg. I give thanks for the true blessing and gift of being a mom to six precious, unique, amazing children, five of whom are teenagers. In all things, give thanks. <laughs> and so, so much more. But just to start out with the language of gratitude that so many times we think we know, but we have a hard time really speaking that language, at least verbalizing it. So I know we could all agree, regardless of where we stood in this crazy election, that we are all grateful that the political ads are done, that the political phone calls are done. And I just felt very moved to echo the words of Archbishop Chaput from 2008's election, where he said, elections focus our attention. They fire up our emotions. But the real work of applying our Catholic faith 
to building a culture of life must happen between our trips to the voting booth. Amen, sisters? Amen. So let's start building that culture of life as we talk about gratitude. So a little bit more on my background. Um, I was able to share a little bit of this at the table that I was blessed to be at, but I am one of 12 children. I'm 11th out of 12. I joke with my little brother that it took my mom and dad 11 tries to get it right, and then they had one for fun. Um, so you can imagine growing up, and some of you I know in the back there are from large families, and um, just the many stories and books that could be written about those stories, but just the everyday stuff of life. And um, there were actually nine boys and three girls, and my brothers were quite the characters to the point of we, I'm sure, completely entertained the beautiful sisters at our grade school um, that tried to educate us. So there was one day when one of my brothers was not feeling well and he went down to the office. It was right after morning prayer. And so Sister Norma, our very dear principal, asked the question that she always asked when anyone was sent down to the office who was feeling kind of sick. Did you eat breakfast today? And my brother, with all sincerity and his big brown eyes, looked up to her and said, no, sister, it wasn't my turn to eat. <laughs> so they played that 12 kid thing and living pretty simply to their advantage and got many a good breakfast from the sisters in the faculty room. So, Garden of Gratitude. I claim to be no big gardener. I wish that I was, even just looking at these beautiful flowers and the pumpkin there. Um, but we did, growing up, pretty simply, my dad had a huge garden, at least through my eyes as a little kid who had to help weed it. It was a huge garden. And I remember complaining alongside of my other siblings about the having to weed and water and even when it was time to go out and pick stuff. But in those first months of the garden, I just remember my dad's words of encouragement because he was out there with us also. And he would, you know, just encourage us by telling us about, you know, just think of the fresh veggies that we'll be able to have in salads or as snacks or, you know, in the wintertime we'll have the canned tomatoes to make fresh tomato sauce and all those things that he used to encourage us to keep our eyes on the finish line, so to speak, to be grateful and not grumbly in those moments. So, um, I, again, that was my big experience. But looking at gardening, what are the things that need to be done? We can agree that it's lots of work, whether or not one enjoys gardening, but there's the tilling of the soil, right? And just kind of getting in there deep and dirty and, you know, weeding and getting all that guck out and then planting the seeds and watering and fertilizing and making sure there's the, the sunlight that is needed and then the continuous weeding and those last few things that are ongoing through the season. And so the Lord asks us tonight, as we focus on this garden of gratitude, are we willing and able, I'm sorry, are we ready and willing to do the work for the Lord has certainly made us able? Are we willing to get in there and get dirty? So let's focus first, I want to go through each of those this evening. Let's focus first on the soil of the hearts the soil of the soul. 
to step back and really look, as a gardener does when they go to plant things, what's the state of our soil? What rocks or weeds, the litter, the junk, need to be removed? Are we willing to dig in, literally, and look at the reality of what needs to change? To take a sincere look at our habits? Can we give an honest assessment of where we are, where we should be, where we'd like to be? Because if we really want to harvest the fruits of gratitude, we need to look at those things, to see if the soil is ready for the planting. It was many years ago, um, we moved here from Erie, Pennsylvania, three and a half years ago. So while we were living there many years ago, when all six of our children were very little, we were getting ready to go to Greg, my husband's family house, for Christmas. And it was cold. Those of you who know anything about Erie know that it gets a lot of snow all the time. Very cold, very snowy. And so we had packed up the kids in the car and probably had three car seats at the time. We were blessed with six kids in seven years, so they were all, you know, I think one time I counted like 15 or 16 clicks by the time, you know, everything was said and done, right? Some of you can relate. And um, so anyway, we were leaving and I was said, Greg, I said, I think I have pictures at Kmart that are ready to be picked up. Do you guys remember those days? Can you think back far enough when we actually developed pictures? They weren't on our phones or on our computers or whatever. So I said, just drop me off. I'll run in and pick them up. We'll be good to go. Your mom will love to have these pictures of the grandkids, right? How many grandmas out there who doesn't love pictures of grandkids? Yes. So anyway, he drops me off. I didn't even have my coat on or anything. I run in. I take the exact amount of money because I had done this so many times before. I, I knew what I needed. There was no line. I come out. He's not there. Like, okay, maybe the baby was crying and, you know, that constant movement thing where you got to keep driving and driving. So, waiting, waiting. So I'm starting to get a little emotional because I can get kind of anal about my plans and I knew who needed to eat when and how long I could go without nursing and before I was feeling it pretty badly and just the nap times and everything. And so I'm waiting even longer and then I'm getting worried and I'm like, I'm not worried, I'm just ticked, right? And so... <laughs> We had one cell phone, and so I'm looking for a dime or a quarter, whatever it was. It was the wrong amount. Remember pay phones? This talk is going way back now. And my friends are coming in now. Do you need a ride? Is everything? I'm like, no, it's good. <laughs> you know? So I call Greg on the cell phone, and he answers, can you believe it? Annoyed at me? He says, where are you? I said, where am I? Where are you? He said, I'm right outside the door. So I'm looking. It's snowing. I'm like, maybe I'm missing him. I said, outside of what door? He said, Tops, which is a grocery store in Erie. Greg, you dropped me off at Kmart. <laughs> he, in, in his habit, as the babies were crying, just kind of got in the groove, and that was often where we would grocery shop, and he just kind of went a little farther from Kmart, and not thinking, just kind of went into that pattern, and was upset at me. So I get back in the car, I blast the heat because I'm freezing because I was waiting outside for a little while. And you know that space? I'm like, I love you, but don't talk to me. Don't touch me. I just need space. I share that story, not because my therapist told me to. No, I'm kidding. Um, 
But because we really do need to acknowledge that question, do we know what we really want? Do we know where we're at? Do we know where we're going? How easily do we get distracted? Because how many of us want to be more grateful people? Right? We all do. But sometimes that thing called life just kind of gets in the way, right? And we lose track of what we really want and where we really want to be going. Why did God make us? God made me to know him, to love him, and to serve him in this world, and to be happy with him forever in the next. So in layman's terms, he called us to be saints, right? And that's what this all comes back to. And that fostering and cultivating that virtue of gratitude certainly helps. Who doesn't get frustrated at the lack of appreciation and gratitude? Whether it's our own kids, whether it's someone we're helping to take care of, whether it's a friend that we've been there for, whether it's that person at the store who's supposed to be helping you because that's their job, right? Just all those things, we get so frustrated that we can't stand, I don't know anybody, I've never met anybody yet, who likes that spirit of entitlement, right? Entitlements. Yet how often, as we get frustrated with all that stuff around us, do we examine our own selves? Do we daily, regularly pour out gratitude to God? Name one thing in your life at any moment that's not a gift. Gratitude puts us in that proper place of humility. To know that not just to be grateful for what is around us, these things called gifts, but to know that behind the gift is a giver. You know, you see the cute signs in the different stores, and I have them hanging over my house and on our front door and different things around this holiday time about give thanks. But don't forget, let us not forget to whom we give thanks. Even when we start to recognize those things that we are thankful for, it becomes easy to just say, oh, I'm thankful for my health, or I'm thankful for this stage, because if I was down there, you wouldn't be able to see me at all. Or, you know, those things. But who is the giver of the gifts? To keep that in mind and to claim it as a truth in our hearts, especially in our feminine genius, because that's how God made us. So cultivating the soil, know the state of our soil. What's something that gets into gardens even from the very beginning before you can plant? Audience participation? Weeds. Very good. Weeds. And let me say this before we start talking about these specifically. Without our sin, we wouldn't need a savior. We are all fallen nature. We are all sinners. So when I'm going through these, it's not pointing fingers at me or at you or specific whatever. It's the fact of an acknowledgement that we have a fallen nature, that we're all sinners, and that we all, praise God, need a Savior who is faithful and merciful, especially calling that to mind during this year of mercy as it's coming to a close. So the weeds, grumbling, grumbling, the grumblers. Examine ourselves. Am I a constant complainer? Is there a constant negative rhetoric going about in my head? 
just all those underlying little, you know, seeing the negativity in everything. We all have those moments. I know I do. And then I'm reminded by our Lord that thankfulness and complaining cannot coexist in our hearts. Rodgers and Hammerstein, who loves musicals, love musicals, right? Rodgers and Hammerstein rock. They don't really rock, but they like, got it, right? So Mr. I don't want to say Mr. Rogers. Who knows Rogers' first name? Because Mr. Rogers, I think of the dude with the sweater. Richard? Okay, thank you. Richard Rogers. Before he died, he was, at, he was being interviewed and he was asked the question, what has brought you happiness? And he paused and he said, when I walk down the street and hear a child humming a song that I have written, Get a bigger awe than that, right? Yeah. Like, how cool would that be, really and truly? When I hear a child humming a song that I have written, when I heard that, I thought to myself, what song am I singing in my heart? Is it the song of Christ's death and resurrection and all that he has done for me? Or is it a song of drudgery, like, 15 years on the Erie Canal. You know, just that heaviness, right? Like, yuck. Or are we a resurrection people? Like, we need to claim that joy that we are supposed to have as Christians. I love Pope Francis when he talks about who wants to follow sourpuss-based Christians. Like, if we really believe what we say we believe, wouldn't we be a little more joyful? Right? Right. I'll answer it for you. Okay. So, grumbling, and along with grumbling, complaining. Complaining. We're all complainers. Oh my gosh. Always complaining. We complain about the weather. Right? It's so hot outside. It's so cold. Like, it's never good enough, right? It's never the perfect temperature. And I think often with that and with other things, whether it's our husbands or our children, or you can fill in the blank with whatever fits your own circumstance. I think so often we buy into a culture that that's supposed, we're supposed to say those things or we're supposed to feel that way. Or if we really step back, do we really believe that? We just kind of follow that culture of negativity. So if I had to name patron saints for grumbling and I was looking in the Old Testament, who might I choose? I'm going to say first, because we're going to touch on a couple of those, the Israelites, here they were in bondage forever, right? Generations in bondage, slavery, treated horribly. Stuff was getting worse and worse and worse. The Lord sends Moses, delivers them. They saw the mighty work of our Lord, right? The plagues, you know, and then they were still kind of tepid when the Egyptians were following them. So God's like, I got this. What does he do then? What does he part? The Red Sea, right? I don't know about you, but I'd be like, dude, he is, I can trust in this God, right? So they get there, and then they're in the desert, and you know the story. I'm not going to go through all the details, but they're fine. They're, you know, he provides manna, daily food. Moms, you don't have to cook. It's coming down. It's right there, right? And it's not good enough. It's not good enough. They're on the verge of the promised land. 
and they complain. Like, what the heck? But how often do we do that in our own lives where we see, we know the Lord's goodness, we know the miracles that he's performed, the signs and the wonders, and yet it's never quite enough, depending upon our mood, right? Right. So entitlement is another weed. So we have grumbling, complaining, entitlement, which is the opposite of gratitude. Gratitude is a spirit of humility. Entitlement is such a spirit of pride. The same need is there, perhaps, but who does the Lord shower his goodness upon with delight? Those who come to him with a humble heart, right? Whining, negativity. It was interesting having a conversation with one of our son's friends who goes to um, a Catholic school in the area, and she was saying that one of her biggest struggles in school is the culture of negativity throughout the hallways. She said, everything is just so negative. Everything is a drama. Every, it's like as people are sharing their struggles, which really aren't huge struggles, they're like magnified. And then that person tries to outdo the other person with the negativity. And then the other person's like, well, that's nothing. Instead of like encouraging and trying to point out the positive, it's like, well, yeah, I can beat that. You know, you got nothing on me. And, just, and she was saying just how difficult it is and how heavy-hearted she becomes and that she, um, she said even the words that they use have been so desensitized to the point where some of them are like, oh my gosh, it's been like the worst day, I'm going to kill myself. And they don't mean really they're going to kill themselves, that it's just become such a negativity, such just the muck instead of trying to be positive and help each other and instead of outdoing the, each other in negativity to try and she said i'm going to commit to this which to me was a beautiful witness and testimony that she wanted to try to put a stop to that let's hear it for our young people so as i touched on too with the israelites stuff that's not good enough another weed right it's not enough it's not quite what I wanted. It's not exactly what I'm in the mood for. Go back to Adam and Eve, right? They pretty much had paradise, right? They had it all. The Lord just told them, just don't touch that tree. They had everything else, and yet it wasn't good enough. It just wasn't enough. We look at the story of Esther in the Bible. Those of you who need a little refresher on the Old Testament story. Queen Esther is one of the Bible's most dramatic stories, I think. A new young queen, an evil advisor to the king, a king prone to fits of rage, became a real big dilemma for Esther. The basic plot of the summary is this. The king gets really ticked off at his queen, banishes her, chooses this beautiful young Jewish woman named Esther to be his new queen, but he doesn't know she's Jewish problematic. Her uncle Mordecai refuses to bow to one of the king's um, servants, if you will, or advisors, because it goes against his faith, right? And so Haman is his name, and he is totally upset that um, Mordecai won't bow to him. And so he somehow convinces the king to 
decree that all Jewish people should basically be killed. And so he doesn't quite know what to do. And so if you read in the book of Esther, Haman has it all. He has the king's favor. He's in the king's court. He's been invited to banquets. He's doing everything. And yet he is so upset that Mordecai is not been killed, that he won't bow. And he's obsessed with that. It says, he says in the book of Esther, yet none of this satisfies me as long as I continue to see the Jew Mordecai sitting at the royal gate. Even though he has it all, he is upset that someone else has something that he wants, which is that, that honor. But anyway, point being, just all over through history, through the Bible, King Solomon had everything, the greatest of gifts. He had wisdom. He had riches. He had it all. He wanted more. He wanted wives of foreign lands that didn't claim God as the true God, and that was his downfall. So other weeds that were, I'm just going to mention, bitterness, envy, feeling of our own inadequacies, that pride that we spoke of. So what do we do with these weeds? We need to ask for forgiveness for our hardened hearts and blinded eyes. We need to pray for the grace to see with God's eyes and his heart. We as Catholics don't claim the power that we know we have, all Christians have, in the name of Jesus. So one thing that I want to challenge you beautiful ladies with is the power of renouncing that we have been given by virtue of our baptism to these evil things, these things that keep us from a fruitful garden with the Lord. And it's so easy. It's to name them and to pray, whether it's out loud or in your hearts, in the name of Jesus or by the power of Jesus, I renounce this bitterness that I'm feeling. In the name of Jesus, I renounce this envy that I'm feeling. In the name of Jesus, I renounce these feelings that I'm not good enough or that I'm inadequate that I'm feeling. And to claim the power that the Lord wants us to have, to have that freedom. And again, as Catholics, what a blessing, the gift of the sacrament of confession. That we are able to go in to the priest, who not by his power, but in persona Christi, the power of the blood of the Lamb, is able to say through his authority that he absolves us from our sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is grace, that is power, that is the best roundup that I've ever heard of. Just saying. So once we've been forgiven, we need to cultivate that mind and that attitude. I love the story of a then Father Carol Wojtyla that most of us know as Pope John Paul II. When he was um, in the confessional, when all was said and done, he would look at the penitent and say, with great love and sincerity, I can only imagine, after he gave the absolution, to say, now, you must decide. Think about that. That we've been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. We've been given sacramental grace through the power of the sacrament of confession. 
it's up to us to take that next step. Are we willing to cultivate, to try, to decide to change? So soil, weeds. It's time to plant, ladies. You ready to plant? All right. So gratitude is the beginning of joy. We cannot be happy unless we are first grateful. And gratitude comes only through humility. And I would be remiss if I wouldn't bring the beautiful gift of Our Lady into this right now. The ultimate example of humility and openness. Picture the Annunciation when the angel comes to her and announces that she is to be the mother of God. And she's not like, yeah, it's about time someone noticed, <laughs> right? She's like, how can this be? And be it done unto me according to thy word, whatever you say. Not kind of, sort of, maybe, can you give me a disclosure of what I might be getting into, you know? It was a fiat, a complete and full yes. And then she allows this, the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon her, to penetrate her, to conceive our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was through her humility and her openness to what the Lord wanted to do that gave us, through her yes, our Savior. She didn't say, woo, everyone check me out now. I was chosen, you silly little Jewish girls. No, what was the first thing she did? She prayed what we know as the Magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And it goes on, a beautiful, beautiful prayer that right away she knew who the giver was. All honor and glory back to God. And then she doesn't sit there and wait for everyone to wait on her and take care of her and rub her feet and, you know, do her Jewish chores or anything like that. What does she do? In haste, she goes to who? To whom? To see Elizabeth, right? To help her. To help her. And when she, and we do it like, when we tell the story, it's like it's right there, right? Yeah, she went to help Elizabeth. Like she hopped in the car and went across, took 475, and she was there to help. But no, it was a journey. It was a destination. She got there, and the baby inside of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, leapt for joy inside of Elizabeth. Blessed are you among women. It's where we get our Hail Mary from. It's very scriptural, right? Elizabeth and John the Baptist became a validator. We are called to be validators to each other, to affirm Christ within each other, to bring out that positivity, to be those encouragers, not to complain about, not to point out the bad stuff all the time, but to build each other up, to validate, to bless. For that is how a culture of life is contagious. Gratitude is also the very heart of prayer. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Amidst all the craziness of life, amidst all the good things that we do, do we take time to be still in prayer before the Lord? 
but I'm doing all these good things for the church. Do we take time to be still in front of the Lord? I love, maybe you have heard this before, but using that same scripture passage, passage, be still and know that I am God. Whittle it down. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. The Lord just desires us to be with him. I love the story of Mother Teresa, Saint Mother Teresa, or Saint Teresa, or whatever the proper title is now. But her novices came up to her one day and asked her how to pray, similarly like the disciples did to Jesus, right? And her response, I thought, was so beautiful. She said, go before the Lord in the Eucharist. Sit in stillness and quiet and say, Jesus, here I am. Love me. We don't do Jesus any good when we come to prayer. It's not like we change him or make his day or, (laughs) you know, whatever. He desires that relationship with us. Think of that. Like he, God desires us to be in relationship with him. Like that's amazing. And how often do days go by without us really stopping and embracing that gift? The greatest thing that we can do for the planting of those seeds is to come before the Lord in prayer. The word silence has the same letters as the word listen. So often when we do come before the Lord, we're so busy rattling off our own stuff, whether it's, you know, rote prayers, which are beautiful, or just our own stuff, our own list of things, and I'm supposed to pray for da 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 and thank you for da 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 then we don't stop and allow the Lord to give to us what he desires to give to us, which is basically love. It's in the quiet of the soil that much happens to that seed, right? There's a type of surrender that brings forth life. Let our Lord water and nourish us. If we're serious about our faith, and I believe that we all in this room are, we need to see prayer as a non-negotiable, not as a luxury, but as a necessity. All All that we do can be a prayer, but nothing can replace that one-on-one time with the Lord. Nothing is more important, Pope Benedict tells us, than fostering a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. From From that, all else flows. So I encourage you ladies, my sisters in Christ, to find a time, be faithful to it, defend it, persevere in it, use scripture. We don't utilize our book enough. Father Larry Richards, who's a Catholic speaker and author, I love his phrase that he uses, no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. Say it with me, ladies. No Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. In other words, even if it's just a line in scripture, open it up, dust it off, find it, look it up on your iPhone. A line or two of scripture. When you wake up in the morning, before you start your day, and before you close your eyes at night, and you see the difference that it will make in your life, in your relationships, with the Lord and with each other. Let me know how it goes. So I'm watching the clock, don't worry. And I do, I just have to say this, because I think maybe some of them left already. I was sitting in the back because I didn't want to disturb anybody when I came up, and there were some in the back, and if you're still here, it's okay. 
Um, like, I'm going to sit in the back in case I want to leave early. So you can still leave early. I know some of you have to leave early, but anyway, they didn't know that I was the speaker, so I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> Maybe I'll leave early. So you've heard the phrase, too, to have an attitude of gratitude. I think someone just said it at our table tonight, which was very inspiring. Attitudes of gratitude. I can't tell you how many times we'd say that to our kids constantly. You need to have an attitude of gratitude. You need to be sunshine, not clouds, you know, when they're real little. All these things, right? Attitudes of gratitude. So easy to say. Who has either read or seen the movie Pollyanna? Do you remember the movie Pollyanna? Okay, some of you do. I take great offense that the term Pollyanna is a negative thing. Okay, it's kind of like meant to be this insult, like you're naive and you're like this overly optimistic, crazy woman. No, Pollyanna had an attitude of gratitude to the nth degree, right? She was this orphan little girl who was very spirited and optimistic, who was forced to live with her cold and unsympathetic Aunt Polly, who was a well-to-do spinster. Um, her parents had been missionaries and they ended up dying, and so she comes to live in some little New England town, I believe. And virtually everyone in this town, in this story that Pollyanna meets, is absolutely miserable. And here comes little Pollyanna, and she just shakes that town up in a big, big way. So her lonely aunt, the bedridden, chronically ill Mrs. Snow, the grumpy and reclusive Mr. Pendleton, and a large cast of cynical background characters provide plenty of narrative conflicts for the relentlessly positive Pollyanna who can only respond with the glad game. So the glad game was a game that her father taught her when he was a missionary. So he had requested, through whatever channels missionaries request things, that a secondhand doll be sent to Pollyanna as a gift. She's this little girl, has no toys. So the package arrives, and what does poor little Pollyanna receive instead? A pair of crutches. It's kind of hard to cuddle with a pair of crutches, I think. So they're trying to be positive, and they're like, okay, so what's something good? There's the dad's like, there's this game. It's called the glad game. Let's see what good we can possibly consider. What's something we can be happy about with these crutches? So after this lengthy thing, they come up with the fact that they are glad because Pollyanna doesn't need crutches. She has strong and healthy legs. So she tries to teach this game to everybody in the town. And they are not happy with it at first, but they come to see it and to embrace it. And it literally transforms the town. And so Spoiler alert, Pollyanna gets in an accident and she is bedridden, she can no longer walk. And so she becomes very grumpy. And it's kind of like the, mm-hmm, how do you like the glad game now kind of thing. But all these people rally around her and they said, no, you made such a difference in our life. You transformed us through your attitude of gratitude and we're gonna help you do the same. And again, it's so worth seeing, I personally, like the BBC version better than the Disney version, but that's my Siskel and Ebert commentary on that. But the thing is, she wasn't hopelessly naive or completely divorced from reality as she was told, but Pollyanna was right. Her optimism 
doesn't just cheer people up on a bad day, it literally saved lives in the town. And so we need to remember her message, which helps us to remember that even on the worst of days, we have much to be thankful for. What are some of the obstacles that get in the way of our plants, our garden coming to fruition? I think one of the biggest things from talking to different priests and my husband and I, and actually our children, have a nonprofit ministry called Image Trinity. Some of you may know it as Mass Impact or are familiar with Ignite. We have a radio show on Tuesday nights and do a lot of work with parishes for personal family and parish transformation. And in our work, it seems like over and over and over again, one of the greatest obstacles to true Christian living is a lack of forgiveness. And I think that just nips off any sprout that comes up in our garden of gratitude. And how hard that is, because I know that there's a lot of people in this room, in this world, in our families, who have been wronged significantly. And yet the Lord still demands that we forgive. Picture our Lord on the cross. If we're not able to forgive, we have a spirit of entitlement when we look at that crucifix. Because we say, I'm entitled to that, but he's not, or she's not. So let's just get rid of that, to ask for forgiveness, to really pray to the Lord today, to have him show those areas that we just need to let go. When we don't forgive somebody, it's like ourselves drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. Let it go. Be free in Christ. I love, there are so many saint stories that speak of forgiveness. One of my favorite of recent days is St. Josephine Bakita. Has anyone ever heard of her? She was an African slave from the Sudan in the 1800s. And she was living, she had a very happy family life, and she was kidnapped in the fields along with some of her siblings, and they were all scattered different places. And she was slave traded at least five times, they believe. She was eventually bought by some Italians, and she ended up in a Catholic household as a servant. It was the first time that she ever heard the message of Jesus Christ. And she was completely taken by it. She didn't even know what her name was. She had been beaten so badly that she had forgotten her name. And so when she was baptized, she took the name Josephine, her body was so scarred from all the masters that she had. They say she had over 150 scars from being branded in different, by, in different places by different masters. She wasn't bitter when she came to know Jesus. This is what she said. She said, I came to know Jesus Christ as my true master. She would kiss her baptismal font when she became Catholic. She said, here I became a daughter of God. That's what she focused on. So deeper than the hatred of slavery was her love of the Lord. Deeper than the scars of her skin is the mark of her baptism. Amazing, amazing. Saint stories are just absolutely beautiful because we can learn so much from them and relate to them in such an incredible way. So another that I think many of us deal with that prevents the great, bountiful harvest of gratitude is suffering. It's real. I don't want to diminish it. I don't want to diminish heartache. I don't want to diminish darkness. 
I do want to say, though, that, and many of you know this much better than I, that in those darkest times, we need to claim the truth that he is in it, he is there, he's molding you through the transforming power of suffering. Sometimes suffering is the grace that causes us to become more dependent on him, to pray more, to have more faith. John Paul II says, don't waste your suffering. The church needs it. I finished reading recently, Mother Angelica was the founder of EWTN, her biography, and it seemed as if every time something significant was going to happen in a good way for the church, for her order, she was stricken with some significant suffering, whether it was physical or emotional, and she offered that up. She knew how to enter into the suffering of Christ. John Paul II also says, suffering unleashes love. So we are told in scripture in all things to give thanks, to count it all joy, that all things work together for good to those who love God. So our tough circumstances, our burdens, our marriages, our health, our finances, our children perhaps leaving the faith, whatever it is that we might be dealing with and suffering deeply with, we need to lean into him more than ever to lean into him and not say, I'm going back to Egypt, but know that he is a faithful God and that he is with us in it. Someone had mentioned Job before, all that Job went through. And what was Job's mantra? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was able to really hold fast to his faith and know that losing his family and friends and food and everything else, he still was able to give praise to the Lord. I want to read a psalm to you. It's one of my favorites, and it's something that is personal to me because I saw it lived out in our own home. It's Psalm 100. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Know that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his, his people, the flock he tends. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for he is good. The Lord, whose kindness endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. I had shared before that I am one of 12. A issue that was near and dear to our family's hearts was the pro-life issue. So it was the year Roe v. Wade was passed, which legalized abortion through all nine, nine months of pregnancy for any reason or for no reason back in 1973. And it was 1976, and my parents felt very called to go to their first March for Life. And my mom was seven months pregnant, just felt very called to go. So she was 39 years old. It was the night before the march, and my mom and dad had boarded the bus, and you know, it was like a little bit after 11 or whatever, and they were going to drive through the night. And it was just a couple hours into the trip, and my mother, again, seven months pregnant, 39, had never been sick, had no health issues, was called home to the Lord. And the baby was a little boy, and he also died. They weren't close enough to a hospital. And so here is my dad, who has 12 children to come back to to raise from ages 17 down to three, after having lost the love of his life and his little unborn son, 
and gave great witness to us about what a man of faith, what a man of God, what a man of gratitude is all about. I never remember him being bitter or complaining or woe is me. I'm sure there were some very sad, dark moments for him. But he witnessed to us and verbalized to us that God loves us, he is there with us, and he will bring all things together to work for good for those who love him. And so we lived that every day, seeing my dad. He never remarried. I always laugh when people would ask me that when I was little. I'm like, who would want to marry a guy with 12 kids? <laughs> right? No. Great guy. God bless him. God rest his soul. And the other great lesson that he taught us was what God calls you to, he provides for. So in that moment or in whatever struggle you are enduring right now, know that we have a faithful God. Know that he loves us. Know that he is good. And what he calls you to, he will provide for. I feel like I need to tell a fun story now. <laughs> so I will real quick, and then I'm going to wrap this up. So in light of that, though, and this tells you what kind of guy my dad was, it was the first day that we went back to school after my mom's funeral. And I was in kindergarten at the time. And my mom's rule, and now that I have girls, I know why she had this rule, but we could not wear our hair down straight and straggly, she would call it. It always had to be pulled up. So my hairstyle of choice was always pigtails on either side, which I thought were called honkers, because my brothers always would pull them and say honk. So that's what I really thought they were called. So it was the day before the Catholic schools had kindergarten, and so I was at the public school and everyone else was gone and I was standing in the bathroom waiting for my hair to be done because I always did what I was supposed to do and my husband always laughs at me. He's like, you always do what you're supposed to do. I said, you should be glad that I always did what I was supposed to do. So my dad's like, Stephanie, go, you're gonna be late. I think back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, my poor dad, I'm standing there because I'm this obedient little child. And I said, I'm not allowed to leave with my hair straight and straggling. And so he had no clue how to do pigtails, or honkers for that matter. And um, so I just, I remember this very vividly, him doing my hair and trying, and it was the goody brushes of days gone by with the bristles, that bristly bristles. And so just pulling my hair back and he could not figure out how the heck to, to do the rubber band thing. And so he was very frustrated and I'm sure he had other things on his mind, go figure. And so he put down the brush and he went into the kitchen and he came back. No, oh, I never ever thought of that. <laughs> he was good and faithful. He did not come back with scissors. <laughs> he came back with two bread ties. <laughs> two twisty ties, right? So the little things, they didn't even match. One was red, one was blue. One of the thing that half the paper was coming off of it. But he did my hair, and it was not straight and straggly, and off I went to school. And when I came home, I had two older sisters who were at the top of the line, and I learned how to do my hair that next day. I'll just say that. But he did what he could do and, and was faithful in it. So he chose to be victorious, not a victim. He taught us to be resolved not to let our joy be determined by the presence or absence of storms, but by the presence of God which was a beautiful gift that all 12 of his kids still try to learn from. So now we need the nourishment, the watering, the sunlight. So I'm just going to go through, the, through some of these quickly. Surround yourself, and I see this in this room, with a community 
of believers, those who don't have that culture of negativity, and I don't mean you have to kind of circle around your own little groups, but if you find yourself being affected by people who are so negative all the time, balance it out. Get around people who are positive, who love the Lord, who rejoice in his grace and in his mercy, who live like joy-filled Christians. That's so, so important to have that support. Um, true gratitude gives hope and testimony to those around us. We need to give testimony, as my dad did, that in the ordinary, that's where the grace is. That's where we live it out. That's where we can be optimistic and grateful. Because it's in our ordinary life, that's God's arena where extraordinary transformation takes place. It's in those dishes. It's in the laundry. It's in work. It's in homework. It's in all those things that sometimes can be mundane and ordinary. And that's where he can transform us. Sacraments, we mentioned confession. Eucharist, we are so blessed as Catholics to have the gift of the Eucharist. The body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ for us at any moment we want it. To come before him in prayer, in the church, in front of the tabernacle, to receive daily if we are able. The word Eucharist, Eucharistos, means thanksgiving. Let us be a Eucharistic people. The church tells us that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. Do we live like that is our source and summit, that that is our core identity, that we are a Eucharistic people, a people full of gratitude, that our overall orientation of our heart and mind is to God, or does it just become a routine obligation? Let us claim a desire to come to know more deeply our Lord in the Eucharist. So let us also look around for nourishment, for sunlight, with eyes of wonder. When our son Joseph, who is now 16, he went, when he was in preschool and kindergarten, he would come back, and I kid you not, you would ask him every single day, how was your day? And he would say, it was the best day ever. Like, how can that be? Huh, really? You know? And, but he was able to see the positive in everything. And what a gift and witness that was to me as his mom, who was not always feeling like it was the best day ever. But to pray to see with eyes of wonder. And my goodness, what a beautiful fall we've had, just even looking at creation, right? To take those moments to give God the glory and praise. So often our heads are just down looking at our phones or doing whatever we need to do instead of rising, lifting our eyes to the Lord and seeing what he has around us. My kids challenged me too, something else, to look at people's eyes. You know, why is it, at least for me with my kids, I'm doing that. I'm like, yeah, I'm listening. And I really am. But they don't need me just to listen. They need me to look into their eyes and be with them. When we sit down for supper, one, do we remember, for example, I know there's a lot of different examples, but to say thank you for supper, thank you for providing practical, practical things that we can do. I just want to leave you with a couple. Have a thank you note plan. It sounds silly, but how often do we think of, oh, I should send so-and-so a note, or I'm grateful for? And I mean, like, think way back to the past. Think of that teacher who made a difference. Think of your parents who provided Catholic education for you, or helped pay for your college, or who gave you a car, or who, again, fill in the blank with whatever sacrifices the people in your past have made. Think of that person that really did make a difference that you never verbally thanked. Think of the people today 
who have made a difference, those that you're grateful for, for a gazillion different reasons. And unless we set a plan to thank them, whether it's a written note, an email, a text, a phone call, it won't happen. Start memorizing verses that in those moments where you're tempted to complain and to grumble, that you can just claim the Lord Jesus' power over your hearts and renounce that which is not of him. I know some people who have used gratitude journals, so they commit every day, and this is my assignment, I won't know if you do it or not, um, can you, this is your gratitude challenge, every night, whether it's on a piece of paper, an actual journal, notebook, whatever, 10 things that you are grateful for, every night from now until Thanksgiving. Mother Teresa, whose patron saint is the little flower, who's one of my favorite saints, the two words that they give over and over again for holiness is gratitude and surrender. So let us be mindful of those two things as we enter into the season of thanksgiving. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, we thank you for all of the many, many, many blessings and gifts that you so generously and graciously bestow upon us. Help us to know that we belong to you. Help us to always remember that identity that we are your beloved and to be grateful for that. Jesus, we give you permission to overwhelm our hearts with your power, goodness, love, and glory, that we would praise you in every moment. And we pray all praise, thanksgiving, and glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, worlds without end, Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, ladies, get gardening. Let's go. We want a feast. Thank you so much. Join the adventure at massimpact.us. Not another program, a way of life.